Zay Frank is the president of BuzzFeed Entertainment Group. After graduating from Brown University in 1995 with a BS in neuroscience, Frank became an unexpected internet pioneer, driving traffic to his own personal website via short films, animations, and video games. Frank won a Webby in 2002 for Best Personal Website and was featured in Time Magazine's 50 Coolest Websites in 2005. From there, he launched his YouTube channel with the hugely popular True Facts series, along with other viral shows. Frank joined BuzzFeed in 2012 to grow and develop its video platform, and he currently oversees the creation of all BuzzFeed video and editorial entertainment content. Zay also built BuzzFeed Motion Pictures, the company's pioneering and prolific moving image studio. If you follow that forward, which we did very aggressively with BuzzFeed, we started to say, you know, what role does content play in connecting people? And what are all the different reasons that you share content? Because it's not just because it was good. That's just not true. And um, so if you go down that line of logic, you really start to uncover all these different uh, ways that content can help people connect to the people that they care about the most. In this thought-provoking discussion, Frank shares key insights and advice about how to pioneer innovation in the digital world and build a loyal audience. Please enjoy our conversation with Zay Frank. You're listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life. And our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. hard to live up to an intro like that with this deep chair. I know. The chairs throw me off, too. See? Yeah. Funny. And just naturally so. I love it. So why did you start in web? Why didn't you look into other legacy platforms as you were beginning to become this great creator? Well, I, I mean, I wasn't a great creator, right? I mean, I think that uh, the, the, the short story of it is that I studied neuroscience and as I was like trying to um, do research towards a PhD, the band I was in uh, started to make some money at like the bars we played at, and um, and yeah, the bars. Is that a, is that a vote for bars? Uh, and and so I uh, took off and and toured for you know four or five years, and and then it ended, and I was like you know 28 and didn't have much on my resume that like translated to anything. Um, and so um, I, I wound up, you know, joining a, a little uh, advertising firm, which is the, technically the sort of second, the only uh, one of the two jobs that I've ever had, um, and, um, and got a viral hit. And 
then I decided that that was the most interesting thing that it had this ever happened. Was how to, to me. dance properly? It was how to dance properly, yeah. And but it was just the, it was the most interesting thing that had certainly ever happened to me. And then I started to make a lot of content, and then I I was like, oh, I like. I like humor, and then I talked to some comedian friends, and they were like, "Yeah, you got to pay your dues. It takes about seven years." And I was like, "Oh fuck, nope." <laughs> and 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 then like you know, I tried you know, I, I was I designed stuff, and like I talked to designer friends, and they said the same kind of shit. You know, like oh, you like get an apprenticeship somewhere, and and eventually you could be a you know a partner in a design firm, and and so I was left with this sort of horrible choice to to spend a, a lot of time that I didn't have. Um, being included in something, or or I could turn to the web, where you could kind of craft your own domain and and make your own rules to some extent, and and that's what I chose to do. Um, and uh, you know, it was years of of poverty. Years of poverty. Essentially, well, yeah. I mean, well, it was. lots of character forming, huh? I guess I don't know. <laughs> You're the judge of that. Like, <laughs> so how know. did this work out? You know. Here's this guy, Jonah Peretti, has this company called BuzzFeed. How did you start to really get wrapped into this and then to the, to the extent that you're at now, really helping craft the vision of how this company is going forward? Well, so Jonah, so, I, I, so, so basically, if you don't know what How to Dance Properly is, bless you. Um, <laughs> be, it, it, was, it was in 2001, like, I figured out a way where you could basically create animated GIFs in Flash. And this is when this is prior to a uniform video experience online. So the way that you would consume video if you wanted to share it with people is you would send people a QuickTime in email, and then they would not be able to open it. You know, it was just like this horrible kind of thing. But everybody had the Flash platform, so I was like, oh, I can like super compress these stills, and like you can actually kind of make sort of crappy video. It looked Chaplin-esque and very like fast frame rates, and and so I created I, I danced to. To Madonna's "Justify My Love," like as a no audio was in it, but it was like you know it was, it was a joke. I was like a terrible dancer, and and uh, I had an invitation to my party, and that that's that thing went giant. I was introduced to Jonah through a mutual friend later on that year because we were the only two people that he knew that had had viral experiences. There were there were just a handful of of thing like you know uh, personal uh, accounts of this. Um, the dancing baby was one. I don't know if you guys remember that, but like there wasn't there wasn't all that much. And so so what Jonah had done was he had um, he had when the Nike uh, ID shoe came out, which was in 2001, you could ask them to write a word on the side of the shoe and they would stitch it. And so he asked them to write the word sweatshop on the side of the shoe because there was all this like, you know, shit in the news about, about like sweatshop labor. And they wrote back and they said like, we're really sorry, Mr. Peretti, we cannot accommodate slang on our shoes. And he, and he wrote back and he was like, oh, just looked in the dictionary. It's not slang. It, it means when workers toil in unfair conditions offer you know, dangerous, <laughs> like, you know. And, and then they, like, it was this, this crazy exchange until they just like refused to give him the shoe. And he was, you know, he is, he is a perpetual prankster. And so so he just forwarded it on to some friends, and then it went gangbusters to the point where a week later he's on like one of the morning shows. It might have been in the Today Show, where he is debating the head of like global communications for Nike about sweatshop labor, <laughs> and like he like, he doesn't know anything about sweatshop labor. And, <laughs> You know, I mean, it's bad. Like, luckily, he had that part down. It wasn't like advocating. Uh, 
And, um, and so, so, you know, the similar sorts of things that happened to me where like Kodak flew me down to Atlanta and offered me the job to be the head of their digital marketing initiative. And I was like, I don't, I don't know anything about this. Like I had to literally go on Google and look up digital marketing. I didn't even know like <laughs> what it was or what like they were expecting of me. Um, and, and so when we met, you know, we were like, we were like, you know, there's a power here. Something happened. And it, is, it, puts, it puts people into powerful situations. It puts the wrong people into powerful situations. And we were like, like we're the wrong people. You know? and, <laughs> Great and self-awareness. So, I love so this. It, it's probably a good idea for us to spend some time really thinking about this. And so, so he and I... Uh, you know, we were part of something called the Contagious Media Group with a number of other folks that, that were, uh, you know, from the data science world to, you know, Paul Barry, who's now runs uh, Rebel Mouse, was part of that. He had had a weird viral hit where he had created um, uh, Dog Island, which was a fictitious, it, it was, he had a whole website where it was the island that you could send your dog to. Like, it's the, you know, like the thing that you, you know, were told as a lie as a kid. But he went so far with it where he had a live cam and like, uh, you know, like it was fake. But then if you went way down into the FAQs, it was like, you know, what happens when the dogs die? And they were like, they're humanely slaughtered and they used for food for the other dogs. And like, it got like really, really dark really fast if you went deep into it. Um, so, so, so anyways, we'd had a long-running conversation about the nature of virality because we didn't believe that it was about the content. It was a, a combination of the content and the ecosystem and digital technology all married together. Um, so when he, you know, I, I heard about BuzzFeed in a bar when he was drawing shit on a napkin and, and I was an advisor when, they, when he started. Um, and then we, you know, just a long, he was a, an advisor to my company when I started. So we, we knew each other for a long time. I, there's so much talk about what makes a video go viral, and I know you just love this subject, but what are some of those components? What seems to be able to resonate, the art versus the science component of that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a super complicated uh, problem, and, you know, what, what we had talked about back in those days was, you know, super complicated stuff, and we were, you know, the, the problem became... Uh, exponentially more complicated when we started to think about the environment. So Duncan Watts um, was—he's a mathematician and a data scientist, and he was part of the group. And and he had a really great analogy early on where he said, "Listen, the content is a match, and you light a match and you drop it onto a forest floor. If the forest floor is wet, nothing happens, and if it's dry, there's a forest fire." Now. Is it the match or is it the forest? And that's like, a, it's a really good thing to kind of like, you know, think about with the nature of content. And of course you see that culturally where certain things that didn't resonate a few years ago all of a sudden become really big in culture. So you have to have a, a kind of a broader view on, on a system. And the problem with the system is that that system is made up by people, and it's hard enough for me to understand what the fuck you are, right? <laughs> uh, Don't worry, I'm still struggling with that myself. Yeah. Not you in particular, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, uh, so, so Jonah actually had an insight early on, and that was... Um, you know, it was prior to him uh, being a co-founder of Huffington Post. 
And it was just simple. It was just that the, the unit, the, the reductive unit for virality is the likelihood that I'm going to share something with you, with one other person. Just reduce it all the way down to that. And then you can start to say, if I can increase the likelihood that someone is going to share with one other person by 0.0001% in a population of millions and millions of people, that's the difference between linear growth and virality. And so that actually, that, that reduces the problem into human terms and it allows, the first thing that it allows is for all of you to start thinking about why you share content. And that's the, the first substrate of understanding uh, one feature of virality. And so if you follow that forward, which we did very aggressively with BuzzFeed, we started to say, you know, what role does content play in connecting people? And what are all the different reasons that you share content? Because it's not just because it was good. That's just not true. And um, so if you go down that line of logic, you really start to uncover all these different uh, ways that content can help people connect to the people that they care about the most. Now I say that and it sounds really obvious, but most publishing companies uh, certainly prior to, to you know, the, the emergence of digital, and even to this day, focus much more on this line. The, the, the content company, the brand of the content company, the brand of the media, and the audience. And they're trying to strengthen this connection. I want you to come back and you know, tune into this particular thing. I want you to have this perception of my brand. And that's like you know, a majority of the work. On the other hand, if you focus on this, the lateral connection, you basically say, how can I create content that people can use to strengthen the relationships that they already have opted in for and already think are important? That creates a wonderful nexus of utility and distribution. So you can focus on actually enriching people's lives and have the benefit of, of this sort of distribution matrix that was opened up in the digital world. Um, and it leads you ultimately to these core human values, like we want to not feel alone, we want to be understood, we want to understand people, we want to show people that we are thinking of them. You know, like you see a, a piece of content that has a dachshund in it, you know, you think about people who you know that like dachshunds. And it's like, at what, like, how do you judge that piece of media? Does it have to be a beautiful story about a dachshund? Like, no, it just has to have a friggin' dachshund in it. Like, that's it, you know? Like, and, and, and yes, that's a sort of simple and, and ridiculous thing, but it has these beautiful nuances to it. So, you know, you think about aspects of who we are. Uh, let, me, let me say it this way. You know the difference between a good book and a great book, right? It's like a good book you cap captures your attention, and a great book is you come across that one line where you're like, oh, shit. I didn't think any other person thought that thought but me. And it's an, it's an unleashing, it, there's, a, there's a sigh of relief. And that is the, the relief that connection and an abandonment of loneliness gives you. And if you think about that, that being one of the many facets and roles that content can play, um, that's an amazing opportunity. So not to be trite about it, but how many people here are left-handed? I mean, there's a lot of liars in this room, or people that think, <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe they're five far enough back up. that I can't see you. <laughs> but but my, my hunch is about 10% of you are left-handed. That's around the national average, right? 
Um, now, for those righties in the room, you think it might be a trivial characteristic of life, but the truth is, is it's not. It's anything but trivial. Any you know, anytime they sit down, a left-handed person sits down, uh, the coffee cup, the handle is pointed in the wrong direction. They have to physically move it. If you open up a tape measure, the numbers are upside down. We all know how many desks were available and how many gloves were available out on the baseball field. But, the, the, you know, there's striking things. Left-handed people don't live as long as right-handed people. Are you left-handed? No, I'm not, thank God. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but not because of any, any like genetic variants or things like that. It's just that the world is more fucking dangerous. Like the railings are on the wrong side. By the time you get to 80, like you got this whole world that's engineered for people who have a different like, you know, uh, uh, dominance, uh, lateral dominance than you. So, so now on the other hand, I don't think any of you on, on a, on a left-handed person's Facebook page ever saw a comment like another day in righty land, fuck this, you know, <laughs> But on the other hand, if you create a great piece of content that is like, you know, struggles every left-handed pe- person has, like, they share the shit out of that. They're, they're like, yo, like, finally somebody, like, and, it's, and it actually reduces the friction to talk about yourself. Now, extrapolate that out to, you know, all the different variances in identity that we know make up the fabric of our culture, whether you're talking about racial identity, sexual orientation, uh, you know, cultural origin, all the different manifestations of personality type and all that kind of stuff, and that's just opportunity, and at the root of it is creating spaces for people to feel less alone and more connected. And, And so, you know, you talk about virality. Virality, to me, cheapens the word. Uh, because it's not about virality. It's about, it's about something very, very special that I think the digital age has, has uh, opened up as a, as, a, as a possibility. It's been interesting because at the crux of what you guys do that really differentiates you is the way that you connect with your audiences and, and the platforms that you, that you do that through. So talk a little bit about kind of the secret sauce behind what you really think makes BuzzFeed so effective and why it continues to, to break through the noise? Well, I think that, I mean, I, I don't know if there is a secret sauce. I mean, I think it is, you know, one thing that we, we think about a lot is that uh, we have a wider view of, of creative potential and talent than I think uh, a lot of folks in the entertainment industry have. So, you know, we think that um, if you have good feedback loops, right? If you can if you can put something out there in the world and get some direct feedback about how it works, uh, if you're um, you know in an environment that that allows you to fail as long as you are like you know earnestly trying to learn something, if you create structured environments where uh, you know you're you're uh, you have a a sense of collaborative opportunity and you're not so precious with, with the flow of ideas, um, you know, people can do amazing things. Uh, and, and ultimately that's, you know, I, I, I just think that that's it. Um, you, you've brought in Tasty, for example, simple how-to cooking. Nothing gets more downloads, you know, in that space than, than, than Tasty does. People would think that's easy to replicate. We could do that too. But there's something about the way that you've navigated it that's taken it to a whole nother level. The, 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 not a question. No, there was a question. Just so there. you know. Yeah. The, 
taking it to a whole nother, taking it to a whole nother level. You can level. always raise your voice at the end and make taking something. Taking it to a whole nother level. No, that's also, that's weird. That's, that's weird. just creepy. That's weird. All right, I appreciate that. What would that. you like to know, Sarah? No, because when you look at that and the reason why people point that out, saying you'd think that that's easy to replicate, but it's not. Why? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, uh, it's, it's not impossible to replicate. I mean, I, I think on the surface, there are a lot of features of, of Tasty that are, and if you guys don't know what Tasty is, Tasty is, uh, um, it's a brand, it's, it's now, I think, the, the, the largest uh, food brand in the world in terms of uh, content views, and it was only started about a year and a half ago. Um, and uh, it's predominated by top-down videos. Uh, they're short, they just, you know, and they end with, oh yeah, almost <laughs> all of them. Um, so, uh, well, I, I don't know exactly what the secret sauce there is. I will tell you how Tasty started to some extent. Like, uh, and this is this is indicative of a, of a larger, you know, um, uh, way that we work. Is that what actually prompted the beginning of Tasty was that Facebook came out with autoplay, and that we had we'd made lots and lots of content for YouTube and, and still do. Um, and when Facebook came out with autoplay, we were trying to understand what that meant. Like, you know, all of a sudden, like, stuff plays, and, and um, it became apparent that, number one, it was biasing to shorter videos, and number two, nobody was listening to the sound. So, so that, now, that's, like, two parameters, and that's, like, perfect for our teams. Like, they latch onto that stuff in, in a heartbeat. They're like, awesome, there's two constraints to my creative challenge. And they tried everything. They tried all sorts of content, but food hacks, like, weirdly, like, popped. And so now they're, like, in a space of iterating on food hacks, and they're going, and they're, you know, like, busting. And then uh, somebody made the sort of aesthetic choice to, to get all Wes Anderson on it and, like, you know, <laughs> get, get a little top down. And then... There was a conversation about like, man, like, you know, people were like, ah, we shouldn't do recipes because like that there's, recipes are done. There's like one form of recipes, it's a block of ingredients, there's a block of paragraph and there's a couple of photos. It's been that way since the, you know, 40s or even before that, we, we can't touch it. But, you know, if a couple of folks were like, well, let's just try a couple and then they cracked it. And that just popped, and then it wasn't like, it wasn't, there was no special sauce, it was just, you know, we kind of have an internal phrase, which is, don't fuck with growth. And at that point, you just do the same thing, like, and you just keep doing it, and keep doing it, and, and, and like, every bone in a creative person's body veers away from just doing the thing that works. Like, creative people are just in their own way forever, because they're deathly afraid of being boring, and they will modify something that works immediately. Like a, a, an artist will create a beautiful piece of art that's incredible, and then if you ask them to do it again, they'll be like, what are you talking about? That's like, and literally, that is the best strategy to make money. Like to make more art, that is the best thing that you could possibly do. Uh, and so they, you know, they just followed that. And then what happened was, in the middle of it, there was a little bit of a pause to say, what's happening? And we started to look through all the comments and the share statements in particular, and what it was was a lot of people saying, hey, we should do this Friday when we get together. And I swear to you, none of them were going to do it on Friday. <laughs> the point was that food is this incredible low friction way to connect with people that you care about. And ingredients are an incredible 
uh, it's an incredible connective material because, because we can actually bond about, about a disagreement in food in a way that we can't with any other thing, right? Like, it can actually be the basis of a conversation that goes on for years. Like, you're a fucking red vine person. Are you a red vine person? I bet you are. You're a red I vine person. I do love red vine. I know. I'm a Twizzler person. Like, but that will bond us for the rest of our lives. Yeah, for the, that's exactly where I thought you were going with that, too. Exactly. So what are you experimenting with at BuzzFeed right now that really excites you? <laughs> Tone it down. Tone it down a little bit. <laughs> well, Sarah, out of 10. everything, that's the point. Like, it's all, it's, it, it's all of it, you know. Uh, I, I don't think I could point to anything. I mean, that's like literally the process is that, is that I mean, the, the cool thing about BuzzFeed is that, you know, a lot of people look at us and, and critique us or our work or our process by taking just like a momentary cross-sectional view of the work that we're doing. But like every single piece of content has a direction to it. It has an underlying premise. It has, it has like a thing that we're, you know, that, that someone is championing and trying to learn from and push forward. So, so all of it really, um, you know, for me, p- me personally, there's, there's sort of like some esoteric spaces that I'm, I'm, kind of interested in because I lead a large organization of creative people. And so, you know, two, two places that I'm really interested in is, is um, you know, one, one thing that I've noticed is that as soon as you start getting headwinds, like certain kinds, you know, like you might have like a bunch of formats and a bunch of ways of doing things and a philosophy and all that kind of stuff. And the second that you hit a point where it's like not working, you start asking data science to give you a lot of like, Information. You start like you know wondering whether you've lost your touch. You've wondered all this, you know, this shit. Like that's a really great time to step back and figure out how you can make twice as much shit as you've been making. So you have to like you just redefine your process and your capabilities so that you can make more, so that you can learn faster. Like that's actually like the key. So so if I look at our our video production capability right now. And I look at our huge editorial staff that has, you know, that makes lists and quizzes and posts, like some of the best stuff, like the stuff that BuzzFeed is really known for. You know, I want them to be making videos. And right now, you know, what we have to do is train people how to use, like, editing software and how to use DSLRs when after work, after they're like, oh, man... Premiere sucks. Like they go home and they shoot like fifteen fucking Snapchat videos and Instagram videos that are hilarious and totally connect with everybody around them. And there's that. That's a huge disconnect. So, so mobile production. But I mean, like, you know, not just the hardware, but the software and the process that can facilitate a, a much greater participation in in professional uh, video creation. I don't mean high high, high quality stuff, but I mean professionally produced in the sense that you're really thinking about it, you're focusing on it, that's one. And then the other is that I'm, um, I'm very interested in the nature of the brainstorm. And, you know, that feels like a, a technology, if you can call like human interaction technology, which I, I think you can. It's a technology that has not really fundamentally changed since the, the 60s, since the word uh, came into vogue. Um, so I think that there's a lot to do there. Where do you see the future of content going five, ten years out? (laughs) That was really profound. I have no clue. 
Really? No, I, that's not, that's not, I mean, you know, there's, there's all these lenses that you can look at content through and, and one of them is the technology lens mm -hmm. and like, fuck if I know. I mean, like, it's, it's just like everything's changing so rapidly and you have platforms and you have the, you know, the, the sort of tech spaces like coming in different places. There's the business infrastructure that underlies a lot of the, the core growth. So you could look at, you know, how advertising is developing. You can look at how affiliate fees and the whole cable industry is going through a really rough kind of patch. You can look at, uh, you know, how like OTT and these sort of subscription environments are creating these, these you know, data-driven things. But the truth is, is that, uh, you know, all those, those big giant macro trends, um, like if they point you in a direction, it's hard to get ahead of where you're going before you're there anyways. So the, the best thing that I feel like we can do is really focus on a process and a work environment that is incredibly reactive and adaptive to new circumstances. So if I can be about a year to two years out in my thinking and Jonah's thinking and my staff and like, you know, our frontline employees, if they're thinking around that, uh, that's enough. And, and it's like surfing a little bit. It's like surfing? Sure. I don't know. <laughs> like a convenient way to like bring that thought to a close. We're in LA. Should I say something different? It's like, I don't know, it's like weaving. Like weaving. Ugh. Yeah, this, this is great. You're, you're on a roll. You seem to really be passionate about what you're doing right now. Are you? <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Are you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm definitely engaged. Um, you know, I, uh, this stuff is, you know, it is really meaningful to me. It's meaningful uh, uh, to me because of the, the people that I'm surrounded with, you know, the people that have joined us and, and are, are working, you know, incredibly hard. And, um, and some of this stuff, like, you know, resonates for me, you know, very personally. Like, the stuff about, like, feeling alone, like, that's, that, that comes from a more personal place. And, and also the, the, the feeling that, um, you know, I think that if you're a young person who wants to get into media, uh, I, I would love to build a place that um, is a little bit more uh, accepting of... of of a wider group of people that, that, you know, really feels like if you work hard, you can, you can uh, become a very creative person, a very effective creative person, and then it's less sort of the model of there's only a couple creative geniuses out there and our job is to find them and then market the shit out of them. Um, so, yeah, passionate in those senses. And it's also like, you know, I get to work with really great people. If you would have written out what your life was going to look like. Could you have ever even imagined coming to something like this? I mean, you used to do TED Talks where they say, he's a humorist. That was your title. Yeah, humorist. yeah. Now you're like... You're not, Couldn't not, call you're, me a comedian. I wasn't funny enough. <laughs> you, were uh, just a, you were just a, a humorist. How do you think that's... Humorists get the, like, the light giggle. The one that you guys <laughs> just did. Like, like, <laughs> like the ha-ha. Uh -huh. That's like, that's a humorist, right? <laughs> um, How has this path affected you personally? I mean, you've had such a trajectory. Where you are now, the company you work for, the people you get to guide, the content that you're creating, how has this affected your, your personal journey? I, they're inextricable. You know, I, I don't, 
they're, they're, they're sort of one and the same. I mean, the thing that I'm like super interested in now is, I, I mean, you, you guys are entrepreneurs, is that right? A lot of them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Get that A round. Um, <laughs> C round, all right. So nice. So C, that's right. Guy in the front goes C round. Yep. That's right. Um, all right. Uh, so, so one of the interesting things is that uh, when you build a company, and this isn't true of any of every company, but but you know when you build the beginnings, and and so I got to build a portion of BuzzFeed, um, uh, which was the early you know the video operation, which became you know BFMP and things like that. Um, but one of the interesting facets is that early days, you know, when there's like 10 of you, 20 of you, 30 of you, um, you can actually, you can use your personhood, your force of will, in a sense, to create an extension of your ego that is the culture, right? It's like, you can, in, you, can you know, like, if, if like shit's going wrong, you can personally change the direction of that boat. And... And then it has certain features. And the great thing is, like, when you construct it in that way, you are the expert. You are the expert. You, are, you have manifested an extension of yourself, and all your own rules apply. And then there is a point where that no longer is true. And that is the weirdest freaking moment in that you have to then spend the next X amount of time removing yourself from your organization. Literally, you have to. You have to allow other people to blossom and become the core part of culture. And that's a very, very painful experience. Uh, well, not maybe for those of you who aren't like narcissists, maybe it won't be that painful. <laughs> for me, it was very painful. And, and, and every time I think that I'm through that process, I, I go through it again. And um, that part of leadership was unexpected for me and it remains the, the sort of greatest single challenge of leadership is removing yourself, you know, allowing other people to, to, to rise up, challenging, you know, challenging the assumption that, you, that you're there for your intellect, right? You know, like if you've done a lot of things and you're, you know, maybe you're twice as old as most of your staff, like you've got opinions on everything they do, I promise you. And like, that's not the point. The point isn't for you to insert your, your intelligence. The point is for you to, you know, uh, be become somewhat of a nurturer and become a lot more sensitive to, to all the different variety of needs that people have in their own development. And that's, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had the real pleasure of being able to, to work with some folks that, that have, you know, really spent their whole lives thinking about those problems. Um, so that, that's probably, like, the, the place where personal growth and, and company stuff comes together. When you look in the mirror, how do you like the guy you see? A little overweight, I'd say. I, I don't know. There's... Um, I avoid mirrors. I don't know. I, I mean, I... I don't know. You don't know. I don't know where you're going with this. I mean, like, I, you know, yeah, there's things that I like and dislike. I'm like, I'm like a, you know, I'm regular person and flawed in many ways. And, 
and 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 you know satisfied by a lot of things, but but uh, you know feel very fortunate to be like in this position. Never signed up for this particular challenge. Like I'd never. You know, 10 years ago, I didn't wake up being like, I want to be a professional manager. Like, I, I want to read, like, business books and really think they're interesting, which is, like, what I do now. Like, you know, like, the, the shit that I used to, like, read and just be like, oh, my gosh, like, there is a whole, like, world of people out there that are idiots that, like, you know, talk like this. And now, I like, I read it, and I'm like, that's, like, really interesting. Like, that makes me think of a lot of things that I could change in my organization, you know, like, um, but... Uh, you know, so I don't have a template that I'm like measuring myself against so much. Uh, but thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at Ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.